Welcome to episode 23 of Storm the Norm, the fortnightly podcast where we pick up norms that come in the way of businesses succeeding in a disruptive world. I am Narayan. And I am Anisha Mutwani. Storm the Norm is now brought to you in association with Grant Thornton Bharat and includes GT Insights, a special capsule from a GT expert. On to today's episode now. Anisha, there's an inside joke in the advertising business that every single person in an ad agency must be creative at all times, except for those in finance. <laughs> I can see how that can become a problem. Yeah, we don't want creative accounting. but uh, And that might seem flippant, but it hints at the norm we are here to storm today. Uh, that There are some professions, accounting and finance being a couple of them, the law being another, that seem to be doomed to be deemed boring. Let me repeat that, right? There are some professions that seem to be doomed to be deemed boring and that there is no room for creativity in such professions. It's such a stereotype, isn't it? Only that the traditional creative businesses like marketing and advertising, like the arts, design, architecture, storytelling, entertainment, whether in written or audiovisual form, can be creative. For me, I think that's a big stereotype. Exactly, Anisha. And it makes me think a little harder and question and in a more structured way, exactly what defines whether there is room for creativity in a profession or not. For example... You know, there is a certain dismissiveness, almost an ego-driven action on the part of the traditional creative businesses that some professions just cannot be creative. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've heard this many times and I may have been guilty of saying this myself. If you just wanted to do a repetitive job, don't join advertising, join accounting. Because if you come to advertising, make sure you bring passion to it. Oh, when you put it like that, that does seem so unfair to accounting. I think passion (laughs) can and must be brought to any profession. Being in a profession of your choice, making your passion your profession is such an elitist thinking that's so far removed from the practicality (laughs) of life and its circumstances. You know, not every hobby or passion can generate income and we all know that. So let me push this line of questioning a little more. You're refusing to give up, huh? <laughs> you've, you've bruised the creative ego. No, I'm just kidding. But, <laughs> but beyond the ego of creative businesses, a second constraint, and it's almost prerequisite for creativity, is chaos. An unregulated environment rather than strictures and structures. But structured processes and thinking, that's what typically defines professions like accounting and law. In fact, without such structure without such standardization, those might descend into chaos and not necessarily the kind of chaos that spawns creativity either. You seem to be intent on making the case for the norm rather than storming it, Narayan. But go on. <laughs> well, I'll go back to a fundamental question then, right? Mm-hmm. So what does creativity do? It pushes for solutions that are out of the ordinary. It enables exponential outcomes. Whereas structured professions aim for repeatable, almost metronomic efficiency and optimization and compliance. And unpredictability, that's a no-no over there. Mm-hmm. In fact, the elimination of uncertainty, the, un- the assurance of sameness and the mitigation of risk, these are what defines success in these fields. And just I can't help thinking these fields, like any field of human endeavor, have to do with human interactions as well which means Mm. there's inbuilt unpredictability, which, as I said before, can allow for creativity-inducing chaos. Mm. And other thing about these involving human interactions is there's room for passion, for curiosity, for questioning, for pushing beyond the here and now, 
So why should these fields be doomed to be deemed as boring? All excellent questions, Anisha. And I think it's a fantastic place to introduce our guest experts today. Safir Anand is an unusual personality in what would otherwise be deemed a straight-jacketed profession. An IP lawyer by training and vocation, Safir's specialty is in using the law as a spearhead for innovation, especially disruptive innovation. His outlook is that the law is typically seen as a safeguard, that is, a protection against disruption. But in fact, it has the opportunity to be seen as a license to fly and fall safely. Mm -hmm. Safir, it is a pleasure to have you here on this episode of Storm the Norm. Welcome, Safir. Good to have you. Well, thank you for having me over. It's an honor to be part of Storm the Norm and your entire team. Yes, traditionally, law has been a lot about interpretation of statutes and about precedence. But uh, in a true nature of things, the world progresses and you know how much of importance we attach today to disruption and innovation and new business models. And I believe that as a consequence of that, uh, the traditional thought process that you know, law is boring is undergoing a huge change. Just to give you an example, when I am in office and I talk to my team, I use a very simple analogy and I will just uh, share this with you. I tell them that let's assume that you were in the business of managing money and you add 100 rupees at the start of the year and you were to book a fixed deposit. At the You already know that at the end of the 365th day or if it's a leap year, 366th day, you would probably make five or five and a half rupees net of taxes and therefore your life would be extremely boring. In contrast to that, businesses do not want that kind of return. They have to maximize the return and in the endeavor to maximize the return, they have to delicately balance right from risk to opportunity. Sometimes, uh, you know, take innovation that may not reward at that certain time. And as a consequence of that, they look on a very interesting field called intangibles and touch upon uh, my field. So I feel that every single day, my journey is the journey of an entrepreneur who's, uh, you know, going to encounter issues from everything around the world, business disruption, competitor analysis, government policies, consumer behavior to even uh, things like COVID and other things. And therefore, strategy plays a very, very critical and fun role in this entire thing. And then there's no textbook. So therefore, it's not boring because when you don't have a textbook, it's like it's, it may be very boring, but extremely disciplined to be on a diet, on a fixed diet. But you want to experiment because that's the nature of human beings. And I think this entire field opens up a lot of uh, experimentation within the, uh, within the controls of uh, both risk and reward. So, uh, Safir, <laughs> the question that comes to my mind is strategy. You, you touched upon that word strategy. How can you make strategy exciting? Yeah, so, you know, the traditional lawyer would be approached by a client with a problem. I mean, the only time you you typically think of a doctor and a lawyer is when you have, or a dentist is when you have a problem. Then you moved on and I said that I will take preventive steps and I will go to my doctor for annual checkups or periodic checkups. And similarly, you may do that with your dentist. Now, the issue is that law is getting, at least the legal profession is getting embedded very deeply into business. Mm -hmm. A lawyer is not meant to solve a problem. He's also meant to avert a problem. He's also meant to capitalize an opportunity because in economics, we use the term economic modes. Mm -hmm. And if the if law is not adding to the economic mode, then it is quite disconnected with the entire objective of the management. So uh, the other thing that, you know, becomes uh, important from a strategic uh, perspective, and I'll just touch on how it's getting there, 
is the fact that initially a lawyer was a standalone unit so the business had a problem uh, the problem was legal they would go to a lawyer lawyer would solve the legal problem everybody was comforted by the fact that you know things take time and they could afford the luxury of time and you were back to normal working today you don't have the afford you cannot afford time because business uncertainty is very high the lawyer has to also match his expectations with finance with marketing with the budgets with the with corporate governance uh, with innovative thinking etc so the issue has become that law has to now factor in the requirements of business and therefore strategize in a way that is not only strategic advice but optimum strategic advice and to that extent i think the bringing together of disciplines like economics behavioral science risk management etc become a very uh, critical part of uh, the legal management so can you bring it alive with an example for our audience so i'll give you a very uh, a simple obscure example that and just as an observer i used to look at the size of the indian wedding market mm-hmm. and i would see that the indian wedding market every year was running into thousands of crores uh, as per data that was coming out in the financial papers and then i looked at some of the top designers in the fashion industry and i found that not even one designer in india at that point of time mm-hmm. had scaled even up to even a amount of 500 crores so for example in say let's take an example of pharmaceuticals or it mm-hmm. if you say tcs and infosys lead and then there are many others who are innovating in fashion there was there was no leader and there was no innovation and yet each person had a name which was very large we would treat them in you know they were equivalent of film stars in the in a certain proxy sense and yet if you saw the panache or the aura of the designer was much more than the commercial value so i started going to the fashion weeks i was not a participant in the fashion week because i'm not a designer but i would go to the fashion weeks to observe mm-hmm. and initially nobody would invite me so i would just uh, you know get one of those f the pass would say fs which meant free seating and you would stand right at the bot- at the end of the entire queue and there were lots of people there mostly you know glamorous people looking at fashion and i would see these models walking up and down the ramp and then the designer would come and take a bow and then there was a choreographer and there was music and other things it did not fascinate me so much what they were making or what models they were using what fascinated me was the ability to start thinking why is this guy not multiplying this business and taking it to the next level uh and as a consequence of this exercise i started observing more and more and more and started giving inputs to the designers saying that you know one of the reasons why you do not expand is because you don't firstly you don't have any moat your moat today continues to be the only thing you understand is your brand mm-hmm. and see a good brand may not cause a good result if the goods are not good i mean i can't go to selfridges for example and find that everything there is not my taste then i won't buy it they have to therefore cater to multiple tastes they have to cater to different generations they have to cater to different price points etc so i told the designers as a starting point that they need to have beyond one mode which is beyond their brands so the level of innovation that was brought in fabrics the le- level of innovation brought in customer experience and i read about a concept called shoptimization which is optimizing the experience in retail or shopping mm-hmm. uh, and i shared that with them and similarly for example customer database bringing in a personal experience etc were all missing traits and when my participation with the fashion industry kept growing 
my movement also moved from the last row to the second last row to the sec- second row to now the first row and then to a board position and i started advising a lot of designers on how to become institutions how to think like corporates there's no reason why for example a designer brand who's an individual does not think like a company they also were not happy to take risks because their risk was uh, they they would believe that uh, you know we have to just sell this particular product and we have good margins and that's fine and i said what if tomorrow you're not there or tomorrow your entire skills are out, outsted so they started taking risk and they started expanding and the result was and they raised capital and the result was that the industry has now grown and is you know become a proxy for you know one of the uh, they're working in a way like a corporate works and some of the designers now particularly brands like anita dongre sabia sachi uh, manish malhotra etc now uh, you know in significantly high turnovers mm-hmm. but yet if you compare them to armani they are nowhere so the gap uh, is real the demand is real i also tell them look at this the business that you cater to is not a business that is being that is highly competitive in the rest of the world because for example you're not making jeans or t-shirts where there'll be too many price points and too much of fight and too much of you know inventory etc so how do you capitalize the interest of the entire indian population or the middle east population or you know uh, some of the sub country population around the world is a strate- strategic advice that you have to take now as a derivative of the strategic advice you will need legal advice because you're going to create intellectual property that must be protected you must be able to exploit their intellectual property because if you create it and you just put it in a trunk then it's of no value yeah. similarly you should be able to showcase it to a venture capitalist or to the equity market uh, i did a, a worked on an ipo of a company called tcns clothing and i remember in the uh, initial days the banker was not finding it convincing the valuation convincing he used to think that no you know there's nothing uh, happening there they own a brand called w and then the uh, stock uh, did exceedingly well post listing and you know gave very good returns to its investors interesting really interesting wow it is not about bringing creativity into the business of law it is infusing the strategy of law into creative domains and therefore expanding the scope for creativity now when you go to a festival let's assume a music festival you go there and there's a certain band that plays and every year the band changes and there's a venue that usually is fixated and there is a sort of food flavor and then this ticketing and sometimes some shops etc that pop up there the question is that if you go there let's forget about the legal requirement the legal requirement would have been initially to clear the site get police approval security approval etc fire approval etc let's take an example that you go to the site now let's do a mental mapping and say that i've entered from the gate and this festival is here and this festival is likely to recur every year the question to put to yourself first uh, assuming the thoughts you'll start thinking like an entrepreneur is that what is so unique about this festival that my competitor who may have greater muscles may have greater resources be better organized maybe more nifty because of you know a startup sort of uh, attitude of being very fast uh, moving or blitz scaling as the book calls it the question is what is going to be the the trigger point and then you discover that there isn't much of trigger point except that when you start analyzing it and you say okay i have the ability to choose a music brand and therefore i may have greater skills in finding a talent so then you put it down on a sheet that you have talent skills which may be attributed to your management or your committee or your whatever things the second is the same experience can be positioned in a way that if i shift the food to from one location to another location maybe the experience goes up for example the smell of food does not disturb the connoisseurs of music or there's not too much of sound uh, impact there 
Now, can I give the entire food festival a title which is different from the title of the music festival and will it be uh, plausible? Uh, the question is that uh, the same logic was applied by ITC when they created an entire miracle dal called Dal Bukhara, isolated it from, you know, Kali Dal or Black Dal. Um, and they created a branding around it so much so that they were able to monetize it and send it all over the world. So like this, when you start, can I do an exclusive tie up with the place, uh, with the place where I'm hosting the event in order to bring in greater value? And if so, will they give a privilege to me, which is not a privilege that will extend to my competitor? Then a legal analysis starts and says, will this be in the realm of competition law? Can I make my agreement more tight, uh, etc. So you've actually combined business now with law and then you've executed and you've created certain modes. The next question is going to be, can you test these modes? Can you pick up this entire brick and mortar model and take it to another location and still get success and get the equivalent of franchise? If the answer is yes, then you've cracked a great business model because then your cost of capital is going to be limited and your returns will go up. In fact, you might even get royalties if you outsource it. So, Safir, I can completely connect with what you're just saying. As a last question, what's your advice? To, there are so many uh, not so exciting professions. People think that only creativity is the domain of only creative professions. Whether it's accounting, finance, quality, people think that some of these are very monotonous kind of professions where you do the same stuff day in and day out. What's your advice? If you were to give them three success hacks, you know, just summarize them, what would they be? First of all, I don't find anything that I do monotonous for the simple reason that there's a huge diversity of industries to begin with. If I treat my job purely as drafting of an agreement, then it will become monotonous because I will be looking within the contours of, for example, the Indian Contract Act and the sections and maybe a little bit of Competition Act. But what if I start understanding the business? What if I start imagining how the entire business is going to be transacted and start embedding the risk to the business that, you know, are very likely to destroy that business or give it the actual tools that will augment it. So let me assume that I go to a, say, a, let's take a boring business like fertilizers. And I tell the, the gentleman in the fertilizer company, please explain to me what is so unique about your fertilizer. How do you make it? How do you store it? How do you distribute it? Why do you get this operating profit margin, etc. And then having understood that, if I am able to identify the risks that are associated with them, then it's a challenge. It's like playing a new video game every single day, except that in the video game, if you lose a life, you still have a second life and a third life. In business, if you lose a life, you're gone. So now, having looked at the problem, you bring in a little bit of lateral thinking. And I say that, okay, I have now one problem and I have a solution. Let me better the solution in option one, two, three, based upon returns on investment. So I started working on the concept called return on legal expenses or ROLE and said, how does a lawyer maximize ROLE? And then your mindset becomes of a student. So first of all, when you become a student, you know, you're very hungry. You want to read more. You want to understand more. You're also blessed because if you start understanding the businesses, you are taught right from the top. The top businesses will come and start explaining something to you and you will understand, uh, you know, deep rooted experts, you'll get that benefit. And then you'd all put it together. And second reason why it does not become boring is if you get into this habit, you become part of a club. And I use the word club in a creative sense where they will start edging you and saying, now we are going to, con so you know, the, you know, the cause of that uh, problem, you know, the thought of the management. Now you start looking at advertising and saying that it's not giving the same benefit. For example, if I look at a certain ad and I say, but this is not aligned to the vision of the brand, this is only doing a purpose, then how do I 
can I work with the ad agency in order to increase the return on advertising? And sometimes I ask my client, do you have return on advertising? They say, no, we only know our sales goes up. We get a celebrity endorser or we get something, our sales goes up. I said, what if you want the brand value to go up? So they say, we have not thought of brand value. And today brand value is obviously far more than sales. So then you start working with more creative people like the advertising guys or the branding guys and say, let's align this also together. And then it's like the release of a film on Friday. You know the collection, you know what has gone right and wrong. So if you live with this thought every single day, you are highly excited. The second is you have to have the mindset, absolute mindset to be willing to learn because every day new things keep coming. Like what is blockchain? What is artificial intelligence? What is robotic science? What is If, you, if I don't read this, uh, there was no use of the word disruptive innovation. Why should innovation be disruptive? It would you know typically we would think of disruption as more like some you know atomic uh, sort of reaction, etc. The question is how do you do this? And the third is that you know uh, learn from many many leaders across. Learn from philosophies. Learn from religion. Learn from. I once did a presentation I think for CNBC in which I said that um, my role not as a lawyer but as an investor is guided by learning from the Ramayan. So, for example, a Lakshman Rekha tells me that I should not cross the threshold limit of what I can invest. And if I will, I will be hijacked into a thing. Similarly, how good becomes bad. And um, sometimes you cannot distinguish between uh, Sugriv and uh, and Bali. Then how do you stand out? Now, there are lessons of branding in that. Now, whether you, you give somebody a garland and say that he looks different from a distance and therefore you can use your uh, arrow to hit him is a branding exercise that a small amount of garnishing on the packaging can make a huge difference. And you see that uh, that's what has happened in many industries where they wanted so, colors to dominate and to stand out. So if you have that mindset uh, and then it's like tap dancing at the end of the day, you'll whistle because no matter what, you'll have this gratification that you learned in the day. And the human brain gets a lot of satisfaction from learning. This is amazing, Safir. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. So, Nadan, what did you take away from everything Safir said? There were so many insights, Anisha. I'm finding it difficult to pick the top ones. But here are two that I particularly loved. Mm -hmm. The law and civil structured professions need not only be a means to mitigate risk, but to actually increase a business's risk appetite and therefore the ability to be disruptive and innovative. Mm -hmm. The second is the notion of ROLE or return on legal expertise to see legal resources not as sunk costs, but as investments and therefore to approach it from the point of view of what returns it can provide. I think that's brilliant because uh, we often relegate finance, human resources, IT and law to transactional roles as business functions that only feature in the cost line of a balance sheet. But Safir is showing us how they can actually be growth drivers and contribute to both top and bottom lines. What about you, Anisha? How would you storm this norm and what hacks do you have for our audience? I want to take up an individual's perspective in addition to the institutional perspective that Safir spoke about when it comes to storming this norm. According to a recent survey, more than 80% people are in a job of not their choice. And I said that earlier up front as well. Right. They have to join a mundane career because the talent doesn't produce a livable income. And for the vast majority of the working force, it is money that drives the profession they choose. This mundane career entails doing repetitive work day in and day out with very little room for creativity and flexibility. And often that leads to boredom and frustration. 
And we all know that disengaged employees lack motivation and are unlikely to invest discretionary effort in self-growth. And that in turn leads to career stagnation for them. Exactly. So here are some hacks that can help you not just break the monotony of your routine, but also an opportunity to fast track your career and lead by example. I'm all yours. <laughs> so the first one is actually about getting greedy and setting ambitious goals. One of the best ways to break up the monotony of your day is to set self-initiated aspirational goals. By setting goals, you'll challenge yourself and give yourself something to accomplish. Instead of seeing your work or activity as something to simply get through, you'll see it as something to excel at. Challenge always brings in an element of stretch in your thought and action. That leaves little room for boredom. So try it and see the difference. The idea of challenges is such a timeless one, Anisha. And to put it in a contemporary context, most of the greatest hits in the age of social media have come from the notion of challenges, including the success of TikTok. But it's also ageless. I mean, legend has it. It's why Sir Edmund Hillary said he wanted to climb the world's highest mountain peak because it's there. Just use the same example of climbing a mountain peak. Anybody who climbs a mountain peak knows what a tedious, what a difficult, what a you know onerous job it is. Mm. And anybody who's going through that hardship would realize that why is it that one would want to put oneself through this hardship? But yet, when you reach the top, yeah, is that whole thing about I want to just go down and do it all over again? You forget the grind. Absolutely. Repeat it because it's the challenge that drives you. 100%. Yep. And here's my second hack. I think it's important that we always keep our options open. And it is mm. not just with respect to our jobs and our choices of professions. Whether it's a problem, an opportunity, or simply your daily routine, we tend to think there's only one way out and we fail to see any other option. And resist even considering other options without properly evaluating those alternatives. Mm. Being safe in your normal routine Fear of change and staying in your comfort zone is such a big enemy of creativity. We yep. so easily fall into the trap of being comfortable with doing the same routine over and over again, like the same road we take to work every day because we are so used to it. Yeah. Sometimes you can just change your routine, follow a new route to work, and you never know what you will see, meet, or hear that can simply spark up your brain and get your creative juices running. Flexibility, I think, comes hand in hand with creativity. Do not fall in love with one way of doing things and fail to see anything else. Spend enough time to fairly judge all other available options, even if it is experimenting with your route to work or something which is very mundane and routine. To paraphrase a popular saying, familiarity breeds risk aversion. Mm. And one way to up your risk appetite is to bring in variation in your routines in small and big ways. So well put, Anisha. What's your third hack? The third hack is inspired by Mark Twain. Mm. Uh, famously wrote, eat a live frog first thing in the morning. <laughs> what will happen to you for the rest of the day? Uh, so my third hack is actually eat the frog. And what it <laughs> simply means is don't just pop up a frog in your mouth. <laughs> Tackle something difficult when your energy is the highest. Mm. See, most human beings are rested and fresh in first thing in the morning and it's not just a cup of coffee that I'm talking about. Right. This is a perfect time to build the habit of eating the frog. 
and what this simply means is crossing off one of those nagging tasks that's been hanging over you while your energy flow is at its peak we all know that there are peaks and troughs in our energy flows mm-hmm. so do these difficult ones when your energy is at its peak maybe this means writing a difficult email or a document or something that's very mundane sitting heavy on your head but knock it off mm-hmm. the purpose is simply to get it done so you're not distracted by it and that pressure during the rest of the day so one of the other tricks is to batch similar work together so you can move mm-hmm. fast almost mechanically and finish all the related tasks at the same point of time i actually do have an email responding time so i will keep a good 2 hours and you know i will just mechanically just respond to all the emails rather than spreading it through the day one email here one email there mm-hmm. this also frees up a lot of time and energy yeah I think lastly all the enjoyable or exciting things we need to spread it out during the whole day okay so it's almost like you pepper your day with these little interesting things that you find exciting don't bundle those just free yeah. them paste them during the whole day i can see why all the fairy tales had plots that involved kissing frogs <laughs> if you can get over the revulsion of doing that i guess you'll be able to do anything i'm not sure i'm ready to eat a frog yet though but i love this hack maybe the only suggestion i have is can we just say eat the karela instead of the frog <laughs> <laughs> yes i've turned vegetarian so yes absolutely <laughs> <laughs> all right what's the fourth one i think it's important to rotate our schedules to schedule more breaks Mm. make our break time as our creative time according to a sleep researcher kleitman our minds naturally crave breaks after every 90 minutes of intense work mm. even worse working when your body resists you know wanting to work uses our energy reserves and starts releasing stress hormones to cope up mm. if you want to maximize creativity and productivity it is important to work with your body's natural energy curves and not go against it and in some way it is related to what i said in the previous hack a mm. simpler answer is to actually take breaks when you need them listen to your body and schedule regular breaks away from your routine at least every 90 minutes and make sure you make your break yeah. your creative time if the repetitive work drains your creative drive make sure you use these breaks to pick it up i'm not just all for this i live this anishas mm-hmm. thank you for repeating it and lastly i think this will seem fairly intuitive but perhaps because of that it's one of the most important hacks and hard to implement while many of us can't change our circumstances but we can change how we respond to them mm. commit to learning and relearning what energizes and drains you see we are in a certain job because of certain circumstances but while we are at it and while we put in all our passion and and use all the hacks that we just spoke about but if we are continuously dedicating ourselves to knowing what sparks our interests and what doesn't we can easily align with a successful career path that highlights our true talents over a period of time and maybe after a few years we would exactly know what's our trigger for passion what drives us and make that switch so by challenging yourself altering your environment and breaking your routine you'll fight the monotony that you experience every day typically there are obstacles that are in the way such as self sabotaging behaviors fears and limiting beliefs that need to be removed before we can actually get to where we want to go and not feel like we are in a rut anymore if you have gaps or spaces for improvement focus on not only what it is that needs to be added 
but also look at what needs to be removed in order to create a cleaner pathway for change i'm going to quote um, this young woman i met in a village in uh, uttar pradesh mm-hmm. and uh, i'll i'll say what she said in hindi first and then translate it because i think this this is such an important uh, hack that you've put out there uh, she said wo kehte hain ki hum haarenge wo kehte hain hum haarenge hum kehte hain ya hum jeetenge ya hum seekhenge right so they say we will lose i say we will either win or we will learn and i think that's the point that you made so eloquently so but uh, so thank you again for those five hacks insightful as ever anisha and uh, that gives us a great place to segue into our gt insights module where gt expert ashish chacharya tells us how business can specifically help storm this norm ashish is partner recovery and reorganization and specializes in debt restructuring and insolvency at gt bharat ashish what practical advice do you have for businesses in bridging the gap between boring and creative hi hi narayan uh, thank you thank you for having me on this uh, podcast and i'll i'll give you an example where i work very closely with uh, a law firm and of course they have now become friends because we work so closely and this is pertaining to the restructuring practice that i am involved in the laws there restrict certain kinds of transactions and those restricted transactions mean meant that the stakeholders in that business were all suffering because we were trying to add some value into the business by bringing in uh, some assets or getting ownership of some assets but we needed to find the money to do that and we are not permitted to uh, liquidate anything we are not permitted to raise any funds so that was proving to be whereas the value of assets that we were trying to bring in was substantially higher than what one had one would have to spend now under those circumstances one could have easily sort of given up and said well the laws the regulations don't allow me to do that but what did we do we thought we created some solutions we even in fact went to the uh, to the uh, legislature again well not legislature the the judiciary again to kind of ratify mm-hmm. what we were thinking as as a pre thought rather than you know getting stuck with it later and ultimately you know we actually found a way whereby we added tremendous value into the business and this was done with the help of within we were completely compliant mind you we never stepped outside the box in terms of crossing any lines but it was thinking outside the box so i'm going to paraphrase something you said uh, and i and i liked how you put it it's only when you can help either individuals or institutions avoid bad mischief there can you then enable good mischief so to speak right uh, creativity in some sense is good mischief but uh, do you have any uh, practical advice on how a business can institutionalize good mischief probably my advice on that would be to encourage broader thinking encourage uh, brainstorming you know have so we have sessions like within our firm as well within our practice where at least once a week some of the people get together from you know the senior team outside their day to day work and we are only thinking and discussing about ideas or problems someone has faced and then how to what kind of solutions and the ideas to encourage the younger people brilliant uh i think uh, we've covered a lot of ground so thank you so much for your inputs and uh, look forward to having longer conversation with you at some point ashish a norm that is urgently relevant today 
a deeply insightful and expert guest perspective, thanks to Storm the Norm and a business perspective. That's a full plate to wrap up episode 23 of Storm the Norm, now powered by Grand Thornton Bharat. As always, there are multiple places you can catch us on, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud and GeoSavan by just searching for Storm the Norm. And we are also on Saregama Karva 2.0 devices on channel 453. This is Narayan. And Anisha. Signing off for now. We'll be back with a new episode shortly. Thank you and talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you.